Well, hello there. This is the podcast where Jesper Bylund and I, Jan Orvet, we poke, prod, analyze and share our opinions on design, the everyday, the mundane, as well as the uh, truly exceptional. And of course, also how people affect and are affected by design. Hello, Jesper. Hey, Jan. Quick question. Uh, actually, two quick questions. What is a document? And how long is a document? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a simple question. <laughs> well, oh my god. Okay, so where should we start? Uh, should we go way back in time, or should we start like in the future, where basically where we live every day? Hmm. Let's go backwards a little bit. All right, I think so. so yeah, I don't think if, I don't know if you've seen this, but have you ever seen? Um, it's a short clip on YouTube. It's called the best demo ever. It rings a bell, but I can't remember it. The best demo ever is a very old video of, about how user interfaces could work on this future type of technology in that uh, back in that era called a computer. I think this. I think the video is from like early seventies or something. And in the video, they have uh, for the first time ever a graphical user interface. They have a mouse pointer. They're they're moving things around, and I think there's even a document in there which is of course completely new because before that and the the demo itself is of course not really done on a computer but it's made on an overhead machine so plastic and pens and we have to sort of start from there because like the the documents that you and i know or that everybody listening knows it's not exactly like these documents always look like this i mean we use the metaphor of a paper document but it's kind of weird like Word, I don't know if Word still has pages. Maybe it does. Does Word still have pages? I don't actually use words. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, me neither. But for a long time, word processors had pages, even though they, of course, don't actually need to have pages. Some of them because you needed to be able to print the documents. But uh, on some of the printers from the 80s and 90s, they didn't even have pages. The, these matrix, uh, matrix printers, they... They just had a roll of paper. So oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh my God. I loved those things. They were beautiful and they sounded amazing. So there are all of these interesting and strange things that we have come to assume about documents and word processing or document processing, maybe on computers that isn't actually straightforward. It started out somewhere in the 70s, like I said, with a file. It was a text file at that point, and then it migrated into becoming a Word file, which was some sort of page that was supposed to be able to be printed, maybe. And then people started using the internet, and suddenly we had these issues with collaboration and like, what do we do with things that should be maybe connected, but not in the same document? And of course, then we get the hyperlinks, and oh my God, I don't know how far I should go with this. <laughs> yeah, hyperlinks and hypercards. Oh, yes, hypercard was a beautiful one. It wasn't Maybe we really, should... but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I really like I really like the hypercard metaphor. But maybe we should try to walk through step by step like what these steps were. So, first of all, what was the first word process that you ever used? Good question. Um, it, it was something on the on the very early Max that opened up something that had a little folded corner on it. Mm -hmm. I remember that, but I can't remember the name of it. But yeah. it was very rudimentary. And when you printed a P 
page from that, it didn't fill a whole sheet of A4 paper. Oh, really? What mm. happened? You kind of fill like half of it. <laughs> so it was like Brilliant. this disconnect between what you saw on the screen. And it didn't only have to do with the fact that, you know, there's A4 and legal no, not if. Uh, let's say, yeah, legal paper size in US is the really long one, and uh, mm. the so-called A4s in US are slightly different sizes. So it didn't really have to do with that, but it, yeah, it was something crazy rudimentary that when it came out, it never filled the whole page. You kind of had to do like two pages on the screen to fill one actual sheet of A4 paper. That's incredible. That that sounds archaic when you say it now. You know, it was, and it wasn't like it was seen as something particularly amazing back then either. And I have to say, this is not, <laughs> I didn't use it at the time, but this was the the old computers that were at the university that you could mm. use. Um, so they were, they were sort of vastly, I mean, they were very much out of date already by then. But yeah, that, that was the first one, but I can't remember the name of it. I do remember one that I really liked on. That was Clarice Works. That was oh, probably the second one. I don't actually know that one. Was that is that a Mac OS? Yes. Yes, it was. And it had it had a really wide range of fonts available. And ah. uh, it, it, I mean it was just it just made it feel really adaptable, even though I pretty much as I have done forever and ever, use Helvetica Noye and occasionally <laughs> Times New Roman. It was still cool to see that the option was there. My first word processor was word perfect. And it was the same sort of thing. Ah. I I liked using it because I could originally I could even draw in it, like ASCII art. But then of course with the uh, GUI I could start making font changes and thought it was amazing to have different fonts in, in the same document. But then we, um, like documents, of course, yeah, you can print them. That's one way to share them, but that wasn't always the uh, the best way. You had to finally figure out some other way to share your work with people. So what did you use? I think printing out was, was something I did use quite a lot, actually. Uh, and when I wasn't, when it wasn't something on paper, I wanted to do it differently. I've always liked the whole idea of sort of presenting live or using imagery mm. to get to get an idea across. And of course, those have always been a little easier to to distribute. I mean, imagery. Uh, it's uh, there's so many different ways you can do it. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. So I, the whole idea of of like when the internet became commercially available to everyone. I was so focused on the on the imagery still that I think I I, I missed a couple of steps that had to do with distribution <laughs> of text, to be honest. How did you do it? Well, that's very interesting. Like, uh, Well, for the first couple of years, of course, printing was the thing, especially in, in school and in college. You, you had to print stuff because people didn't accept files, which was odd. But I mean, back in those uh, archaic early days, you couldn't always share files. Because it wasn't, files were usually tied to a specific operating system or even worse, maybe a specific program. And this was before Microsoft Office had taken over everything. So a document could literally be completely impossible for someone to receive. But then with the internet, of course, email changed everything, right? Because with email, people began seeing email as the document format like email became the thing that you could use and this is i think this is actually quite interesting because because emails were originally 
sort of based on the metaphor of letters mm. and not the uh, the British Postal Service five deliveries per day short notes, but they were based on long form letters. So people would write these elaborate intros and outros and wish you the best of luck at the end of an email, even though they were just asking a simple question or something. And it turned in, it's, it's weird today to think about email as something long form because email could just as easily be in chat, but it wasn't. It was a document. Isn't that strange? That is quite strange. I'm thinking about all the, uh, all the iconography around emails and, and um, email software as well. That is very often the envelope, the closed envelope. Mm-hmm. Instead of, I was thinking of the the note you mentioned, the, the five times a day British Postal Service little yeah. note that was folded, or even old old styly airmail that was on this really thin, flimsy paper. Oh yeah, it was like email was supposed to be something quite serious and quite dramatic. Yeah, I think this is why I loved sharing imagery through FTP because mm-hmm. that felt more awesome. relevant. Because that was you shared the file, and there wasn't any. There wasn't any intros and outros associated with it, but I think the the whole file idea, as it stands today, has more to do with the FTP way of sharing visual imagery than it did with than it does with the written emails and the written documents, because we're simply accepting more and more that a document doesn't have to be text even in yeah. sort of very official instances and procurement processes, etc., it is more and more accepted to include something that's hand-drawn, something that's scanned, uh, or even a short animation. So it's in a way, it's going back to its, its less complicated roots, but it's also allowing a lot more to be within the file itself, or within yeah. the document, sorry, within the document itself. I completely agree that we're going back to we're going back to viewing documents as simply data that we're transferring. It's mm. not it's no longer a presentation layer baked in, but I'm giving you a text or an image or an animation. But I think most of the time these things are viewed as separate documents. Here we can sort of get to the next level because now we're talking about files and we're talking about different sorts of editors and documents as a as a metaphor. So we've moved from the 70s up, in th- up into the 90s and we sort of scratched the surface on, on the internet. Then something really drastic happened in 2007. The rise of smartphones happened. And suddenly, sure, you had documents online, but in smartphones, you had documents, but no files. So there were apps that could open documents and you could do these complicated multimedia sort of things, but there were no files. There was no file system. You couldn't share the file without the app. I have to say, I love that. I love that that step happened, that we started losing the files, so to speak, not by mistake, but sort of by design, stopped losing the, the files themselves and putting the focus on the information. Somewhere in there, messages and communication improved. I agree. When you Very didn't much. have to write these incredibly long, cumbersome novels or even yeah. illustrate something in a very long, cumbersome way, seeing as obviously a lot of attention moved to those, uh, to the smartphones, 
and that we spent slightly less time. I, I very often, I very often make the case that in 2007 we improved our focus. Ooh. One, one might say that well, actually, it was the other way around because we were yeah, distracted. Yeah, that's controversial. But a lot of things we we improved our focus. We honed in what was important to communicate, and that that persists till today. I would say. However, we've reached more of a maybe a mature middle ground. We're not overly focused, but we also don't get overly lost in a lot of information. I think that's acknowledging that a lot of the information that seems really important in a document actually is quite transient. It's it's a stream of information. That really important Word document that you saved 10 years mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. super important. Have you opened it since? Probably no. not. Have no. you opened any document you created two years ago? Probably not. Last month? Maybe. But the information and how you acted on it at the time probably lives on in some shape or form that might be quite different from how it started out. So the document is sort of dead, but the information of what came of it is still very much alive. And I think that's a good way to look at it. And I think what you just mentioned there about 2007 and the document disappearing, but the information being there, but in the app helped with that. And I think that's also a type of focus. We don't need to find the file. We just need to know how the information is relevant today. And then probably text isn't necessarily the, the best way of communicating it. Changing the metaphors after 2007 really did make us more focused on the content and not the technical aspects of the file. And we see this as well with the internet. Because before 2007, we, we already had most of the technologies that we're using today. We, we didn't have maybe the, the absolute most cutting edge, but most of the foundational things that we use today on the internet were around. We were stuck on the document metaphor. We were still using things like WordPress to create pages and posts, which are just documents. And we could share a an image, or we could upload a video, but we saw them as documents. And it wasn't really until after the smartphone revolution had happened that the internet started moving towards having things that were interactive playgrounds rather than just documents. And this is interesting because both you and I, we've created tools in this space. And I would love to hear what your thoughts about documents and what that meant for for your app one was Skriver together with uh, Andreas Carlson and the other was Huddle the the collaboration platform the huge difference between the two was that Skriver was all about the writing Mm. it wasn't about the documents it wasn't about the publishing it was about writing and saving what you'd written and thus it became published So that didn't even have the idea of a document in any way. Uh, On the contrary, it made a way with the whole concept that something needed to be of a different length or contained in another container. Huddle was the other way around. There the focus was massively on files and the most recently used files, and those would be automatically sort of float to the top. Uh, Funny side story, the first Huddle app we made was actually for BlackBerry. Which is, is kind of cool. It still was on access to the information, but with Huddle, the, the focus was on if you know the file, you know the information. 
-hmm. And that worked in a business concept incredibly well because it was the, the shared language that everyone had. Could you send me that file? I'm looking for that file. Yeah. I think with Scriver at some point, we, we toyed with the idea of where might you want to sort of save your writing because you saved it as text files locally, sort of uh, in your Dropbox folder. That's kind of how it was all powered. But those were still files. And we, we did have some discussions around, sort of, do, do they need to stay there? What, what else might happen with them? We didn't reach any particular conclusion around it, but it's almost like you could take the, the Scriver years a couple of years ago and today and sort of cut out the four or five years in between and connect the discussion then with the, with the discussion now. And I think mm. there is an interesting answer that can be taken out of this thanks to what we've been talking about that we see it more as a stream and we see it in completely different on different devices than we did back then. You did something that I, I love the name of it, by the way, blank page. Your yep. page. It's an actual page, like in yeah. a document. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to hear your um to hear your story going through this because I had the I guess the opposite sort of um track that I was on. So blank page was a uh, software as a service that helped uh, aspiring writers become authors. So it was a motivational service to help people get through their first draft and actually finish writing a novel. And I made this myself, and it was based on the idea that tracking progress and showing you how far you've come motivates you a lot more than having some sort of external goal, like a streak you have to follow up or a, uh, a set of points. So the the app was designed around the idea that you were you were writing a novel, and a novel has a specific format. To write the novel, you added pieces to it. Pieces, not documents. And pieces were basically chapters that you could move around or do whatever you wanted with. The document of the piece, because it was displayed as an actual page, as a document page, sort of like Word. But the document of the piece was designed so that it would feel like you were making a ton of progress. So the text was a little bit too big. The margins was a little bit too big, making it just seem like you were writing a ton of pages, regardless of how little you were actually writing. So I came from that and I explored that over several years. And the psychology of it really actually did work. A lot of people um, reported that they were writing more than they thought they were. Interesting. Um, yeah, and they were very happy about that, which was nice. But uh, the assumption that the people who dream about writing a novel actually want to write a novel was completely wrong. So the um, the product failed. Or I, the product didn't fail, but it didn't become the sort of um, sustainable product that I had wanted. So eventually I had to fold it. But I didn't give up on the idea of thinking about output. And I happened upon several variations of note-taking apps. So I actually built another one a couple of years ago called Ting, a free-flowing note app, a note that you add infinite amounts of text to. And each time you press enter, a new part of the note is added. And each part of the note can reference any other part of the note so that they can be interlinked. And the idea was to create some sort of Zettelkasten type system where your notes could just live in this graph of knowledge that would be interconnected as you were writing. But the uh, the interesting part about Ting and about all of the competitors that exist on the market today is that they're not documents. Not at all. 
there's nothing like it. So in Blank Page, it was very clear that there was chapters or pieces that were sort of a document or a infinite page each. But in Ting, every single new sentence is a note, but it's not a document. And the note mm. has metadata, but there's no document, there's no file. There's just a stream of things you're adding. So I think that's pretty much the opposite of what you did, though we were getting at the same sort of metaphor. Most definitely. And I think you were a lot closer to what we're now seeing is becoming the the dominant, predominant way of thinking about information. I, I'm thinking about Notion, for example. Yeah. I absolutely love Notion. As you know, I absolutely hated Notion uh, when it first came out. And then you said, oh, well, now's a good time to try it again, because it's nothing like the old notion. And you were absolutely right. I came across this really interesting text on in the Platformer substack. Platformer, fantastic email newsletter, doesn't cost a lot. It is a paid for proper journalism around of technology, media, etc. Subscribe to it. It's brilliant. Platformer. Very interesting. Anyway, after that completely unsolicited promo, this this text talks about how the document of, sorry, not the document. See, it's so easy to just say document, yeah. call it document, ah, whatever we call it, let's call it document just for simplicity's sake. The future is about a document that does everything. It is not Word, Excel, PowerPoint, or sheets or numbers, keynote, depending on which ecosystem one believes in. It is something else. It is something that has more to do with what you want to achieve or what you want to communicate. And this one container-ish concept, a bit like with Tink, how every sentence or every paragraph was freestanding, exactly mm-hmm. like it is in in, uh, in Notion, is a lot closer to what we will be using as a metaphor in a very, very near future. And one of the reasons, obviously, that this is, is happening is that after completely ignoring this space, the, the big ones, the, yeah. the Microsofts of the world, are actually also entering this. And of course, they're, uh, was it called Loop? Loops, yep. maybe? Yep, Loop. It's kind of a hybrid between Notion and Word or their office suite, but they're heading in that direction. Anything that breaks down those types of silos, I think is very, very useful because this also addresses information being transition, transitional. Is mm-hmm. that transitional or transient? Transient. Transient, thank you. It comes and it goes. And saving it, archiving it is completely different from having access to it and using it. The world doesn't actually need any more content creation or writing or photography applications. It needs a whole new way of archiving information. That the next big sort of surge in in applications will actually have to do with archiving. And luckily, they probably won't be called archiving, but (laughs) something else. But it will be about acknowledging that information has passed its immediate usefulness, but not its long-term usefulness and you need to keep it or want to keep it. And then, of course, the, the follow-on to that is, well, what's the interface to that? How do you differentiate between not only how you view information, but how that information is made available to you? What does an ar- a window into an archive look like? Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jesper. See you next week. <laughs>